Hello, welcome to another Rhythms podcast where your host is Brian Wise. And in this episode, his guest is none other than Pulitzer-winning musician, actor, singer and songwriter, Rhiannon Giddens. Rhiannon first got noticed as a co-founder of Grammy award-winning group The Carolina Chocolate Drops. And over the last 15 years, she's blazed her way across stages with her incredible blend of gospel, blues, jazz, folk and spiritual music. In 2023, Rhiannon has taken time out of her busy schedule to tour behind her first album of all original material. It's called You're the One. And Brian starts this conversation with an excerpt from the opening track of the album, Too Little, Too Late, Too Bad. See you on your knees as I go walking by. talk to you again we've met a couple of times in melbourne when you've been there you came to the radio station and we did an interview there twice when you were there and it was boy it's your last visit there was quite memorable wasn't it because you did you did a concert at the recital center and then everything was shut down the next day it was yeah that it it's interesting because the rest of the shows that i played on that on that you know that tour that aborted tour i couldn't tell you but that last one you know <laughs> yeah it's very memorable very memorable yeah our we had an interview the, the day before and it was interrupted by a message from the prime minister <laughs> <laughs> like a fool i fought you and like a fool i show oh my gosh it was it was an amazing way to go out if i was gonna if we're gonna have a last show that's that was the one to have it was incredible i do remember it very well it, it was a great show and uh boy you've been pretty busy since then haven't you and i wanted to congratulate you on the pulitzer prize for omar you. which you co-wrote with michael abels and you spoke about that actually when you were here back uh three years ago and um i'm wondering if you could just tell us briefly what it's about and and if we're ever likely to see it out here because it's been uh, performed in a number of different places hasn't it? i think there's one coming up quite soon as well yeah it's going to be in san francisco they're working on it right now um and uh yeah no it's about a, a man named omar bin said who is a senegalese um quranic scholar really he was a educated very educated man uh and he was at, at the age of 37 he was captured and sold into slavery and ended up uh, at the slave market in Charleston, uh, about a few blocks away from where the opera premiered, uh, uh, which would have been 2020. Jesus, it was just, was it, it wasn't last year, was it? <laughs> it was last year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was 2022. It was premiered. It was supposed to be in 2020, of course, which, you know, was not, uh, did not happen for the obvious reason. 
Um, but he spent the rest of his life enslaved. He died in his 80s, still enslaved, um, I think a few years before the civil end of the Civil War. It's a tragic story, but it's also uh, an incredible, it's an incredible proof of the human spirit. I mean, you know, it, it's very hard to imagine the life that he lived and how he was able to, you know, survive and to even just the technicalities of how does he remember enough Arabic to write his autobiography, you know, which he does 20 years after he, he lands in the States, you know, with no community around him. I mean, his, his memory was incredible. My daddy wore a cap like yours. He got down on his knees and he faced the rising sun and he did it again when the day was done. He was just a really remarkable figure and it the the importance of the story is that it really complicates the narrative of American slavery, you know, who who was who was captured, you know, what happened to them, um, all of these things. Uh, it, it just adds, it really adds to that story, which really needs to be, you know, added to, because right now it's a pretty simplistic narrative um, that's, that's used, I think, in ways that are destructive. They found each other in the darkness. The way they looked at the world wasn't the same. But the way that they looked at each other There are so many of these stories coming to light and you've been responsible for quite a few of them and the same thing's happening here where we're getting a completely different picture of history. You know, we have this kind of uh, stereotype notion of what happened, but in in fact what we, we were taught in schools, what people were taught in schools is not necessarily what happened at all. I, I, I'm glad to hear that that's happening. You know, mm. uh, I think it needs to happen everywhere because, you know, people always say, you know, well, this is the, this is the way humans are. We, we fight over land and we take over land and we enslave each other. And this is what we do. And I'm like, okay, we also, you know, do lots of wonderful things that would be great to keep doing those things. It doesn't mean that we have to keep doing all the things that we've been doing. Right. Um, we do get to pick and choose. And I think that having a, a fuller, picture of of the history of how our 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 respective nation states of America, Australia, were sort of formed in the last couple hundred years, you know, at this sort of unholy intersection of a technological explosion and the idea of colonialism, the idea of an ethnically connected right to land, <laughs> you know. It's very I, I just think it's it's incredibly important that these that these true histories are coming to light because I mean, it's, it's obvious why they were suppressed because it's easier to, it's easier to do a lot of things when you're in control if people don't know how you got there. But I, I think it's, it's ever more important that we're all on the same page about, you know, what happened. There's a place I go when I want to get away from the crowded streets and the long work days. The women are nice and the men are pretty. Cause I just want to get out of this city. It's a little bitty joint just out of town. Got the best fried chicken for miles around. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go away. 
very busy over the last few years after I think you had the MacArthur Fellowship, you've got a couple of Grammys, you've been working on TV series, you've been doing various collaborations, you finally found some time to record your own solo album after a couple of albums with Francesco. Where did you find the time to do it? It says the songs were written over the course of your career and we do recognise some of them from hearing you perform them at some unforgettable jazz fest performances in New Orleans, I recall. But where did you find the time to do all this? <laughs> well, it's just like this is the kind of album that I could do after the crazy, you know, five years or whatever that I've had, because it is songs that have been, you know, composed over the course, of, like you mentioned, of, well, like really 14 years, 14, 15 mm. years. And they had just been sitting there waiting to be done, waiting to be put into something and and I just collected them and there was a couple of different ideas of you know paying homage to my musical greats that I've I've been inspired by and so it's just and it also just came at a time where I just needed a bit of fun you know I always like to joke that I'm like I'm I'm the girl at the party that you sort of back away from you know <laughs> on a Friday night like cuz you you're like all you want to do is have a glass of wine you don't really want to hear about slavery or banjos And so I've, I've been a very serious artist for, for a long time, and I still am, really, you know. But I do have a fun side, and, you know, it's important to, as an artist, to explore all the different sides of who you are so that you can continue to grow. Because I keep talking about the same things in the same way, but I, I think I've done a lot of that, and it's, you know, it was just time to, to you know, take a little turn and do something different. And this is definitely, it's definitely different. <laughs> Yonder with Keb Mo. Are there any other collaborations on there on the songwriting side of things? Yeah, there's a there's a fair amount. So there's a few that are straight up co-writes, like you know, like that one, um, "Too Little, Too Late, Too Bad." I wrote with uh, Dirk Powell, as well as "Who Are You Dreaming Of?" and then "Yet to Be" was a, a you know straight up co-write with Marcus Humman, who's a, a Nashville songwriter. And then there's a there's quite a there's a there's a few where I I kind of got like 80 percent of the way and I enlisted a friend to kind of help me get to the end or to bring in, you know, like um, B Beam and help me help me finish a couple of songs, you know, and then there's there's a good handful of ones that I wrote on my own, you know, so I'm a, I'm a collaborator, you know, beginning, middle and end. I just love working with people and, and in songwriting. That's no different. Um, but they're all, you know, very strong um I think they're strong in they're, they're strong pieces of my artistic sensibilities, you know. They're all really pretty firmly in in how I look at the world, so I like to work with people who feel the same way. <laughs> I'm looking through a window 
forget, I want to ask you about Who Are You Dreaming Of, which is an intriguing ballad. Uh, it sounds like it comes out of the 1940s. It would be at home in a 1940s movie. Um, who did you write that with and what was it inspired by? Well, it's so funny that you say that because I, I wrote that as another, you know, co-write with, with Dirk. And uh, we went through a time, a period of just writing a bunch of songs together. Um, it was when I was doing Nashville, the TV show, and uh, we were just kind of in a groove. And uh, some people reached out about a TV show they were trying to get put up, and they wanted a theme song. So we wrote a th we wrote a theme song, and the show never happened. But we loved the song so much um, that you know I wanted to put it on this record. And, and it also is, you know, it's it's very much in the. I was a big. I listened to a lot of Patty Page. You know, when I was younger, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's a deep cut, you know, it's not, not a lot of people my age who would be like, yeah, Penny Page, you know, but uh, I loved her, her style of singing. And so when I'm singing, who are you dreaming of? It's definitely right in her pocket of, of that kind of smooth. I don't know what it is. It's a very particular time period of singing, you know, and, and mm. I just love it. So that was definitely uh, what I was thinking of orally with that song. But yeah, it's one of, I love that song a lot um, just because it's uh, it, it does i do feel like we really nailed it like we nailed the brief you know with that one you don't see me any i mean there's another life you know another parallel universe but that's that's all i do <laughs> you know it's just sing that kind of stuff you know 50 years ago maybe i'd have or got 100 years ago <laughs> well it sounds but, great you know, Thank um, you. Tell me, love, who are you dreaming of? You're listening to Rhythms Magazine founder and editor Brian Wise in conversation with multi-instrumentalist and vocalist Rhiannon Giddens as they discuss her latest of many projects, her new album called You're The One. I'm just a hen in the fox house A pigeon set amongst the cats The album was produced by Jack Splash whose credits include some very interesting people including one of my favourites, Valerie June. So how did that come about and does that sort of tell us about the intent that you had with the album yeah for sure and my manager alex i hadn't heard of jack you know i'm not a very that doesn't mean anything because i haven't heard of most producers you know because i'm not one of those folks who knows who made what and where and which studio and all that stuff i don't really you know pay attention um that much but my manager alex suggested him and i listened and i knew that he had done valerie june which was on an automatic yes okay then i'll give him a a listen, you know, I was like, if he's recorded banjo before we will talk, you know? And so I talked to him and, and I liked that he was bringing a whole array of sounds that, you know, I appreciate as a musician. I've listened to those folks that he's, that he's recorded, and, but I've never really dabbled in, in that world myself. And I made it really clear to him that I really wanted to work with somebody who wanted to meet me halfway, you know, that didn't want to stifle where I was coming from and that was being was willing to work with the folks that I was going to bring and, and give them space to do their thing you know and he was totally into that and he had brought a lot of ideas himself and had very specific notions about how certain things should go which is great so it was it was a great approach um and it worked really well for this record so we, I do think we did find a really nice middle ground you know as much as 
it, you know, the criticisms, people, people are funny because, you know, first of all, they want you to stay where you are and they never want you to move anywhere. And there has been a little criticism of his producing saying it's too, it's too polished. And I just disagree so much because it is, you know, some of those sounds were the sounds we were going after. You hear the banjo, you hear the guitar, you hear the fiddle, you hear the accordion, you hear all of the acoustic instruments. He gives them space. And I, and I just think that that's not an easy thing to do. And he should be, I think he should get credit for that, you know, but people, you know, they don't say what they're going to say, but I, I think it was a great collaboration. I'm pretty certain that the people who made those criticisms of criticisms had never produced an album. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, um, probably not, but they're also sort of more, more situated in the folk world. And that's fine. You know, if, if it's not to your taste, if it's not to your taste that, that I have no problem with that, but I do think that he, I think he threaded the needle really nicely um, and, and, and found a way to let those, those sounds all mingle together in a, in a really organic way. Uh, I would point them to that song that we just talked about, Who Are You Dreaming Of, where you can hear the drums, the the brushes on the the drum kit, and it's just, you know, just the sound is amazing. And you could choose a whole range of other songs which kind of show the full, all the facets of your musical personality, don't they? Because you can't be pigeonholed into just one thing. And I think that you bring that out in, in this album. Yeah, it's that's kind of the point of me mm. <laughs> is that I don't, you know, I don't believe in genres like I understand them. Look, I understand the need to categorize and put things in and sort things. I get I totally get it. But I think artistically, it's a death knell, you know, to to put stuff in a box and to say you can't do this. You can't put this song on here because it's a different genre. OK, put don't put the song on there because it doesn't fit the narrative or it doesn't fit the story or it doesn't fit the the vibe that you're trying to do but like genre is just so superficial to me that especially american music is all related and it's all interconnected and it's all you know it's not like i put you know norwegian death metal you know on this record you know what i mean it's like everything is coming out of a common well of of very specific influences so you know i i'd, I'd like to push on that whenever i can and that's what and i see that people it's so funny because you know the song that doesn't belong changes you know, according to who's reviewing it, which I kind of feel like I've done my job. I've done my job. You know, some people it's who are you dreaming of? Some people it's another wasted life. Some people it's this, you know, and I'm just like, that's great. You know, that means that nobody has decided exactly what it is. And that's, that's what I want. <laughs> she was born on a farm, working the clay. She ran off when she was 16. Down a long country road with nowhere to go, she knew that she had to leave. It's a long, long way from where we've been. Well, you've said, I hope that people just hear American music, blues, jazz, Cajun, country, gospel and rock, as opposed to pigeonholing it as Americana. Yeah, I mean, but what is Americana? You know what I mean? I this no is... idea. The key. We've come so far, but the best is yet to be. I, so part of me is kind of like, does it matter? You know, because there's stuff that's listed as Americana that could be rock, but there's stuff that's listed as rock that could be, you know, uh, Americana or that could be blues or that could be, you know what I mean? Like. Mm. Our, our genres are completely nuts at this point. You know, if you hear, if you listen to commercial country, it's like 
doesn't sound like the country of 80 years ago, which is what Americana sounds like sometimes. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. everything moves and it shifts and, th- you know, people want to do different things. And it's just kind of like, you know, we have to continue to catch up because what American do- music does is it evolves. And wh- what any music does is evolve. And mm. as soon as you keep trying to keep stuff in a in a bottle, I don't know. I just think it's problematic. So, you know, I know it'll make it harder for like, what Grammy category do we, you know, submit it for? What do you call it? What, do you, what bin do you put it in? And I'm like, you know, it's not my problem. <laughs> Yeah, well, so. um, yeah. When Americana includes uh, jazz, um, then I think it'll sort of be a little bit more encompassing and uh, sort of embracing of the total all all the music's there. But uh, but speaking of Americana, you do have one guest on the album who I've called the king of Americana, Jason Isbell. Yes, yeah, he's um, he's uh, graciously agreed to you know sing a verse. He's got an album out this this year too, so you know will mm. likely never never get to do it together but that's all right he did a great job and i needed i knew i needed a, a strong male voice and, and he's just been such a he's been such an ally and such a good guy i i just he's just somebody who who i love the to watch how he walks through the world you know from his twitter to how he you know just stands for what he stands for and doesn't give a shit you know what i mean mm. um if, if he loses fans or whatever he doesn't care he says this is this is right. This is this is what I believe in, and I believe this is the correct thing to do, and and that's why I'm gonna talk about it, and I'm gonna do it. And I just think that that's rare enough in the music industry where people are so scared to lose their fans and to lose their their in you know their label or whatever. And I understand all that. I don't criticize people like you know, but you know why are you doing it? You know when you get to a certain point, it's like how much money do you need? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. how big do you need to get? you know, you're, you're obviously paying your bills. So, <laughs> you know, so he's, he's just someone who really, I, I admire him. And so it was just nice to, it's nice to ha- have his voice on the record. He was born on the farm, but he didn't want to stay. His daddy said he was a fool. So he crept away in the dead of the night and got a steamer out of Liverpool. It's a long recorded at a pretty famous studio, Criteria, in Miami. Did you do the whole thing there? Yeah, I mean, that's what they say is famous. <laughs> of course, I didn't know. All, all the guys Bob are freaking Dylan out. Like, oh, there. I know. Eric, Eric like, Clapton. <laughs> yeah, not not two names that I really care about too much, but um, <laughs> I, I know there was a lot of really other amazing uh, musicians who also recorded there, which I find out when I when I get there, all the, all the guys are freaking mm-hmm. out, you know, in the band, like, oh, my God, you know. Um, we did the bulk of the recording there. I did some overdubs in Ireland, actually, um, some vocal harmony overdubs and stuff. But the bulk of it, you know, was there and the bulk of it was in the main room on live on the floor. You know, sometimes 11, 12 people all at once. It was really amazing. That's a real old fashioned way to make a record, you know, and it's something I was really committed to doing. You know, I know it's more expensive, but to me with all the different influences that went into these songs and also combining my world with Jack's, I just said, you know, this needs to happen organically or it's going to sound forced. It's going to sound fake, you know, if we're trying to do it with overdubs and, and at the, at the controls. So it needs to be with the musicians in the room. And uh, that's, that's why we did it that way. Well, it's a pretty amazing studio. I mean, we mentioned a couple of names. I mean, Betty Wright recorded there as well and Donnie Hathaway and, so I'm wondering what it's like 
in terms of what sort of, how does it differ from where you've worked before? I know that, you know, Dirk's got his own studio, hasn't he, in um, Louisiana, but how does, what's it like to, to record there? Well, you know, it's interesting because I started, you know, I did a, a big project called the New Basement Tapes and that was at Capitol. Mm. And uh, that was at, you know, that's a storied, we were in studio way, whatever, the huge room and, and, and uh, top notch everything, you know, and I've, I've also recorded, like you said, in, in Dirk's studio, which is in a, you know, an old wooden building in Bro Bridge, Louisiana, that used to be owned by a Creole family, you know, I've recorded in a farmhouse on a working farm in Ireland during the pandemic. I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like, the space doesn't mean anything to me other than does this feel like a good space to record in? Like, you know, Dirk's place is very warm and, you know, you're kind of feeling the weight of the history, the historical weight, not musical history, but just history, you know, and, and Criterion, obviously there's all these people. When I'm, when I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is a nice big space. <laughs> that's really, that's really all I'm thinking is like, how is this going to be conducive to making music? The other stuff really never enters my head. Every night I wait for you to stumble through that door. With the smell of cheap perfume and ready for a war. I think Aretha Franklin recorded there as well, and I think Too Little, she did. Too, Little Too Late Too Bad was maybe inspired by Aretha. There's no maybe, is 100% inspired. Too little, too late, too bad. It was like, I wrote the words and I reached out to Dirk and I said, he's also an Aretha freak. And I said, um, let's let's write an Aretha Franklin song. That's literally what I said. Right. <laughs> so so he came back with the with the music, you know, and uh, yeah, it's I, I love it. It's it's such a it's such a sassy song. You liar. Said you were gonna set my world on fire. You know, I, I was hoping at some stage to see her at Jazz Fest in New Orleans at one of the 26 Jazz Fest I've been to over the years. And uh, she was scheduled to play, I think, three times and cancelled every time. It's probably one of my biggest musical regrets not seeing Aretha sing. Yeah, she's she was well known for the canceling. Um, I was lucky enough to see her, you know, because we we did a we did a gig together. I mean, together we shared the same stage. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, over the course of a night, it's not like I was up there with her, but uh, at the White House. So it was uh, you know, so she didn't cancel on Obama. You know what I'm saying? So I was. I was I was very lucky to be a part of that. I was I sang a Sister Rosetta Tharp song, and so I got to meet her and and witness her majesty. I so I do feel very. People were like, "What was it like to meet Obama?" I was like, "Let me tell you what it was like to meet Aretha Franklin." Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love I loved meeting Obama, right? But it was her, and I met Lavar Burton that same night, and I was just like, "Okay, I can die." <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that we've heard some before at Jazz Fest and your performances. You, Louisiana Man. Now, that's been around for a, a while, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it has. A lot of these songs have been around mm. for. You're the one I wrote for my son. He's now 10 years old. You know, so Louisiana man, we almost put on Freedom Highway. We we just didn't record. It just it wasn't right, and then it just didn't fit in, in that record. It was the one we left off, and so I've been wanting to do it ever since. You turned my head, tripped up my mind. You Louisiana man. It's a fun song and people really enjoy it. And now we've got this whole extended thing at the end where the guys just like go to town and they're, they're all so amazing. It's, it's going to be so fun to tour it. I'm glad there's now an official recording. I never knew that you were going to break my heart, you, you Louisiana man. Now, there's a really interesting instrumentation in the introduction of the song Another Wasted Life, and you, you know when you hear that introduction that the song is about, you know, a fairly important subject, which it is. Can you tell us about that song? Yeah, so I wrote that after reading about Khalif Browder, who was a young man um, who was accused of a crime that, you know, he didn't commit and was never actually formally charged. I don't believe, um, but was put into prison because he he was on probation for some uh, some really minor stupid thing, you know. So he did he couldn't get out on bail and all this. It's just it, it's such a story of how terrible our carceral system is and how unjust it is. But anyway, he ended up in jail for like three years. Uh, the majority of that was in solitary, which is you know like we can't mm -hmm. handle being by ourselves for an hour. We, we can't handle being by ourselves for five minutes without picking up a phone, right? Can you imagine being in solitary for two and a half years. I mean, it's just, it's 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 torture. And and then he was exonerated and finally released. And he, you know, he committed suicide. And so I wrote this song, Another Wasted Life. And uh, you know, again, I kind of put it, I kind of put it away. Another day, another youth, another story. The commentary uncouth and full of cloud I, I wanted to put it in this collection because of who I was working with and I and I wanted it to I immediately knew that I wanted it to have a larger scope, you know, than what I could do with a fiddle or a banjo, you know. Um, I wanted it to have a different additional sounds and um so jack you know kind of went off he was very inspired by he went off and he can't kind of came back with this whole idea uh, of the intro and i just said that's amazing let's do it and um yeah it's it's a uh, it's obviously the one that's most closely you know uh adjacent to the work that i have been doing uh over the last um, decade and a half and it's going to be the centerpiece of of a partnership that i have with the innocence project which is a organization in the united states that is dedicated to helping people who have been exonerated get out of prison. Because as I've heard many stories, just because you get, ex first you have to get exonerated. And then just because you're exonerated doesn't mean you, you're you scot-free. Mm. You know, it can take, and it can take additional years 
to get you out of prison. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the whole system. And so I'm working with them, particularly the one in Pennsylvania, to just raise awareness. Um, I don't think people understand how many people are stuck in prison, you know. So another wasted life now kind of it's it's grown to encompass, you know, if you're in 25 years in prison for something that you didn't do, that's a whole life that's wasted, you know. So anyway, just trying to do what I can to raise awareness because it is something that is kind of hidden in plain view. A lot of people don't really know about it. You've been listening to Rhiannon Giddens, talking about her new album with editor of Rhythms magazine, Brian Wise. You can hear dozens of other amazing artists by heading to rhythms.com.au and looking for podcasts or subscribing to Rhythms wherever you get your podcasts on any app or platform. I'm Michael McKenzie. Thanks for listening.